Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast. Hosted by Brooke and Farron. Where you learn a little about a lot. And sometimes a lot about a little. everybody we have Lisa Lett here she goes to church with us slash works for the church why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself well I live in Kaufman Texas moved up to the Metroplex at the end of 2011 um, down from San Antonio and yeah started working for the church about a year after we moved here have two kids that are crazy keep me on my toes crazy cute Crazy cute and mad crazy in their minds and make me crazy. Um, and yeah, I do women's ministry now at the church. Worked for the co-pastors for three or for five years prior to that. And here we are. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking, you played college sports. I played basketball at AM Kingsville and um, didn't play my senior year, did internship with FCA. And uh, one of the best things I could have done. Oh, really? Why so? Yeah. Well, I just, I was, I had just started living my life for the Lord. And I had been a believer for about four years prior to that. But this was kind of one of my first big steps in putting off my own desires, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I had done that practically, leaving out my faith. But this was like a huge thing because I loved basketball and I actually started doing well. And had been a year out from my knee surgery, and so just was feeling good. And then there was a little stick in my path, you know. Yeah. But. All right, so you also mentioned you had a couple of kiddos. Ages, names. So Kate, okay, Kate is two, and James is four. He'll, he'll be five in December. Have you gotten to sleep through the night yet? I just need to know. Absolutely. My kids. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that my... was the wrong answer. <laughs> no. Yeah, so um, we we didn't do super aggressive cried out, but we did do some cried out. We just. Oh, I'm proud of you. I had to. You know, with my first one, I lost my mind for about the first two months, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So oh. we had to find a new system. Yeah. Good well, stuff. My husband had to be the strong one in that. I had to go, yep. like, hide in the closet. Exactly But me. I'm glad he did it because sleep's important. Yes, yeah. Morgan was like, this is the best gift you can give to yourself. <laughs> I agree, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, you do it. It's totally necessary for me, so I had to. And my kids, you know, they, they thrive well. They put themselves to sleep. They wake up. They go back to sleep, you know. It's just I love it. healthy for us. Yeah, it works it's good for us. stuff. So when you're not working or chasing kids, what do you enjoy doing? Do you still get out there and play basketball? That, no. (laughs) Uh, I did when we first moved to the Metroplex. I found this this, uh, adult league in Forney, and it was awesome. Our team was stacked. I didn't know (laughs) who I was going to be on a team with because I didn't have any friends here. And the lady working at the desk was like, oh, did you ball in college? I was like, "Uh, yeah, I played for a few years. She's like, okay, you can be on my team. And then I show up on day one, had no idea. I saw some girls who look like 21 years old, and they look mm-hmm. so in shape. And I was like, man, I am going to die. They're going to run circles around me. 
And then there's like these six two girls walking in, oh like gosh. just legit looking players, and the tall, awesome ones ended up being on my team. Yes. <laughs> we had like, I was the lowest, I mean, I was the only one who played Division Two. The rest were all Division One. Fran Harris, who played for UT, played for the Comets. You know, we just had right. a stacked team. So, y'all were good. Yeah, we won. <laughs> Relive those glory days. Yeah, it was so like cool. It. All right, so we can just go ahead and dive right on in. So, we're talking about the invaluable laws of growth, and there are 15 of these chapters. I know we sent you a ton of questions, so feel free to pick and choose or quit at any point okay. that you want to. Deal. So, the first law is law of intentionality, um, and so that whole chapter is about course being intentional with whether it's your time or your money or whatever so in the spiritual realm of talking about this what are some of your thoughts what are some practical implementing ways we can do anything that will help us spiritually grow well I think what's important is to understand that you have to be intentional about your spiritual growth um you know it's it's hard for a believer because we know that our faith was given to us by God, and so a lot of the times we uh, just rely on that. And we know that we don't have to earn our salvation, and so we just rest in that. And it feels good to give in to your own desires, and so you get comfortable in that too. Um, and so you have to be intentional. Um, you know, there's a, there's a verse that just really hit me hard, and, and I'm, I'm glad I... Um, stumbled across it because it really validated a lot of the vision that God was placing in my heart for women's ministry at Sea Life. Um, and it's in Second Peter, and it basically says that you, if you don't, if you aren't intentional about, intentional about supplementing your faith, then you will be unfruitful and ineffective. And if I am, if I am driven at all, that's the last thing I want to describe my life to be unfruitful and ineffective. And so if right. you want to be effective and if you want to um, have things in your life that show you are a follower of Jesus, then you have to be intentional about supplementing your faith. Basically. So what does that look like? So I know a lot of times, like say we're a new Christian or we've been a Christian 30 years, how can we either rejuvenate ourselves? So what does it look like in a typical day either for you or for someone you know? Or what have other people tried? Well, so I'll use my own life as an example. Um, so I first started following Jesus when I was a junior in college. And I didn't know what it looked like to grow spiritually up until that point. And I think for me what really changed, I woke up one morning and couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And I think the reason, the only way I can describe it is... I felt like God revealed sin to me in that moment. And so I finally realized how appalling my life, my sinful nature was um, compared to the glory of God. And so in that moment, I knew something needed to change. And when I, in that moment, I just decided, like, I'm done. I realize now that life is not the life I want. And I thought that that was freedom. I thought giving in to everything I wanted to give into was freedom, but I am like, I just feel a weight on me, um, and in that moment, I just decided, I don't want to go back, I'm done with it, and it was like a genuine, repentant heart, 
I turn from that stuff. Um, and I just, you know, people say, like, I felt a weight lifted off my shoulder. I literally, and I don't use that word, I'm using it correctly, because I literally <laughs> felt lighter in that moment, and I I was smiling. I had just a different uh, spirit in that moment. And um, I went two weeks later and started working a Christian sports camp called Stillwater, and that I was voluntold to do, um, and went and worked it, was around a bunch of other believers, and I just, I saw them, you know, I I saw that they would read their Bible, they would get up early, the counselors, and it was exhausting, they would get up early, and they would spend time in the Word, and then we'd go and have Devo time all together, so they were getting up early, reading, on their own, going and being poured into before they would go out, and so I learned in that moment that getting into the Word was so important, um, so when I left camp, that's exactly what I did. I was lifeguarding that summer, and every time I would get off stand, I just felt this desire to get into the Word. And so I would put headphones in, I would sit back in the cool room in our little pool house, and I would just read. And I had no idea what I was reading. Um, so I had a dictionary, and I was reading through the book of Proverbs because another counselor recommended that her her cabin do that. And so I'm like, well, maybe I should do that, you know? Um started reading through Proverbs and would just read a verse, looked up probably half of the words in there because I had no idea what they meant. And that's when I saw some of the biggest spiritual growth in my life um, because I was no longer comparing myself to other people in the world. I was comparing myself to uh, God's Word and what was really true. And, um, and so it is so important to get into God's Word if you want to grow spiritually because you can always find someone in this world that is worse off than you, that mm-hmm. is making worse decisions. Yeah. And so um, so for me, and, and what I read in Scripture, you know, Scripture says to meditate on His Word day and night, to heart his, hide His uh, Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. Um, we know that getting into Scripture is so valuable, um, yet we just we tend to not do it um, because it takes work. Right, you know. What would you say for someone to start out in Proverbs like you did? Or? Proverbs is cool. Um, it's a lot of wisdom. That's what Proverbs is. Um, I also would say the book of John. So John is a gospel. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all gospels. Um, but I, I just really like, I always recommend people starting off in the book of John. So you can learn a lot about Jesus. And, and that... Um, for someone new to the faith is so valuable. Um, not because that's the only stuff that's important, and some people think that the only the stuff in red is important, um, but just learning more about Jesus and his character and the way he lived. I mean, Jesus went off to quiet places and prayed. Jesus went, went to church. Jesus did community. Jesus discipled people. Jesus loved on um, the unlovable, I guess you could call them. He loved on people that society shunned, you know? And so we can learn a lot from Jesus. And so um, I think what we need sometimes is just to be overwhelmed by how incredible uh, God is, how incredible Jesus is, and the sacrifice that he paid for us. And so I would definitely recommend the book of John. Right. Hearing your story and what you had to share had me thinking, you know, when you're younger and your parents send you to vacation Bible school, and church on Wednesdays, and then at church on Sundays, you have your smaller church group, 
you know, you don't really have to think about being intentional. Of Mm -hmm. course, you could go further, but, you know, as a first grader, second grader, saying your prayers at night. But, yeah, I definitely remember those college years. Mom's not there to wake you up Sunday morning to say go to church. Um, You might have trouble finding a similar group that to go and, Mm -hmm. you know, spend time in the Word with. Um, So I definitely remember at that time of life that that was really hard and then everything seems to be transitioning and not that that's an excuse but that was definitely a challenge um so I like that you the ideas you had to share as far as don't it'd be nice to have a group and friends to go with but there's nothing wrong with doing it on an individual basis right and I always think of intentionality with within the faith as like having that relationship with God and um when we get church they were talking about you know what if you only you were dating someone and you only talked to them once a week for an hour right. yeah. <laughs> and that you know equating that to only showing up to church on Sundays or if you only go happen to make it once a month or Christmas and Easter twice a year mm-hmm. you know what kind of reflection or what kind of relationship um, would that be so yeah. yeah and I think that ultimately what it comes down to is we have to believe that Jesus is better we have to believe that what his word says is true. And so we believe the lie on a day-to-day basis that it is better to veg out on the couch, scroll through Facebook, or watch a Netflix series than get into the word. Like, we just, we believe that lie a lot of time. We believe the lie that it's okay to give full vent to my anger because I'm justified in it. And um, so what we have to do, um, sometimes it's difficult to be intentional. When you find yourself in a new season, um, it's difficult to be intentional. So what we have to do is remember uh, that what God says is true and that his ways are better, that he's for us and not against us. And so um, when we think our ways of being lazy or being unintentional are better off for us, uh, we have to remember that that's just not true. And I like, too, how you said it's not comparing yourself to other people in the world. Like, well, I could have a better relationship with God, but... I mean, at least I do this. So and so doesn't even. Yeah. At um, least I don't beat my kids. Right. Yeah. Which that's also every good. Day. Yeah. Yes. Please don't yeah. do that. As <laughs> <laughs> crazy as they make us. Yeah. Um, so the next chapter, chapter two, is the law of awareness. So this whole chapter talks about strength and weakness, knowing yourself, um, and then also channeling that to passions and purpose. So it kind of touches them all. So how can we? So from a spiritual perspective, what is our purpose as Christians? And how can we bring in the things we love to do and that we're good at to do all those things? Yes, yeah, so, you know, a lot of people get super caught up in this. Um, it's the, it's like a question of the century, you know. And I, I did this as well, too, and I, I still do this. Um, but I think that um, ultimately what we have to remember is that our purpose, we all have the same purpose, It's to know and glorify God. And so in everything we do, we can find purpose. And, um, you know, there's a verse in the book of Corinthians that said, I don't know if it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10. And it says, uh, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, to give God glory. And so when you think about that, like how mundane those things are, eating and drinking, um, I mean, you don't think about glorifying God necessarily in those things. Some people do. It's like, well, I only eat what God makes. You know, it's like, okay, um, glorifying him. It's like, 
okay, so when I take a drink from the water fountain, should I say, like, glory be to God? You know, it's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. Well, now we'll do that. Yeah. Um, but what it's talking about is just, like, everything you do should have purpose and should um, point people to God. It should, um, you should have your heart inclined to him. And so, but absolutely, I believe, you know, the Bible says, or I know this, and I don't believe this, I know this, that the Bible says that God... Um, created good works he prepared good works beforehand that we should walk in them and so what does that mean okay so God uniquely knit me in my mother's womb he prepared good works beforehand that I should walk in them so what does that look like and so that's where a lot of people you know that's where this question comes about it's like well I want to be in God's will I want to do what God has for me and I say go for it I say sit down this is what I did when I first moved to the Metroplex, I just stopped teaching in San Antonio, was living up here, wasn't certified to teach, was teaching Bible, and so the, the, the chance of me finding another Bible position in the middle of the school year up here, and so I was like, God, what do I do? Um, do I go back to school for what I, was, what I set out to do? Do I finish getting my certification for teaching? Um, should I try to work at a private school? Should I work at a you know, public school? And... Um, I was challenged in a sermon or a conference I was listening to uh, at home, just sitting at the dining table with nothing to do because I didn't have a job, no kids. Um, I was challenged to write down all the things I was gifted in. And that was really challenging because uh, I didn't want to be prideful, you know? So I was like, so I was trying to write everything like, well, I can play the guitar, you know? So <laughs> I, uh, I like organizing and uh, every little thing. And I, so I was just trying to think, like, well, no one would pay me to do this stuff. Like, who's going to pay me to organize? I know there's people out there that pay people to organize now. But yeah, at the time. What are doing tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so I was looking at all these things and just felt like there's no job for this. You know? And so I think that a lot of people get caught up in that. It's like, well, no one's going to, I'm not going to have a record deal. My voice isn't that good. Or I'm not that good of a writer to write a book. Or I'm not... Um, like an amazing teacher where I could travel around the world and impact the world. And, and so, you know, what I did in that moment was just um, writing those things down just made me more aware of what God had gifted me in. And so when the position of being the co-pastor's admin came up, I'm like, I love talking to people about Jesus. So working at a church, maybe that's a good thing for me, you know. Um, I like organizing. I'm task-oriented. So this job... Like, that's what I have to do. I got to check off list. some stuff. Yeah. Um, and what it did was it it paved the way for this new position that I'm in. Right. No way, because of my credentials or lack of credentials, would I have ever been considered for this position had I not worked for the co-pastors for five years. It's the relational equity and them seeing my character throughout those five years that even qualified me in their minds for this position. And so and what I say to people who are really questioning what what am I supposed to be doing? You know, I want to glorify God. Um, I feel like I'm kind of gifted in these things, but I don't really know how to make it all come together. And I say, absolutely, write it all down. God knit you um, uniquely. So write all these things down. So when an opportunity comes, you are more aware and you can you can no longer deny it because you've written it down. And then just start saying yes. Start saying yes to little things, even though it may not seem like the big ideal thing that you had in the future. 
Um, just start saying yes to things, and you have no idea what God can do. He might be preparing you for the very thing He has created you to do. You right. Know? So, And even with you, they created that position. Absolutely. Because they saw yeah. a need and knew you could fill it. Right. So the five years before, you had no idea that that was... That wasn't even a thing. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't for them either. And honestly, what's even crazier is so um, so six months before the position was created, or my, new, my position was created, uh, I quit. I was their admin and I quit. I, not because I wanted to. I loved my job. I felt good at it. Um, I felt like I was thriving in it. Uh, my second trial, I was pregnant with my second child and I just had this uneasy feeling that God was leading me to step out and to just be home with my kids and I was borderline I borderline was struggling with postpartum depression with my first son and so the thought of staying home with two kids out on a farm in Camp Texas with no family or friends was so nerve-wracking um and so I didn't even tell my husband about this for months and so um and then I told him about it and I I know financially he was like are you sure that's what that's telling you <laughs> Pay um, a little more yeah and um and then even just telling the co-pastors I was really nervous about it but here's what I do know and they've told me this too if I hadn't have stepped out of the admin position they may not have even considered me for this position because um, hiring someone for my position was very tough for them because it was someone that had to believe in what the church believed in, uh, trust them as pastors and leaders. Um, when I started the position, we only had one campus, or we had two, but um, we didn't even, we hadn't opened the Sunnyvale campus yet. And so the job just grew like crazy within five years. And so to teach someone and train someone those things, not that I'm the only person who could do it, but you know what I'm saying. It was I I developed that position based on things I was good at. So to find someone like that was gifted in those same areas would be difficult. And so they have said, you know, if you wouldn't have stepped out, I don't know that we would have even considered you for the position. And so again, even I was, it seemed like I was stepping off. I'm here. I'm working at a church. I'm building relationships, and they're asking me to do some really cool things, doing some mission kind of stuff, and you know, whatever. And so taking a step back, step a step out of that position could have seemed like a terrible career choice. Um, but when it comes to God, you know, he's just very unique um, and he's very creative. And so just saying yes in the little things really is where is how we get to where he wants us to be. Yes, I admire your faith because I know a lot of people like would be scared financially like you had mentioned to maybe make moves like that um do you think sometimes even simply changing your perspective so maybe you feel like you're in a position where God is calling you to be but maybe you're not taking a full advantage having the full awareness of how you could be you know furthering his kingdom do you think that just a simple change in perspective and looking for those opportunities could be another way oh absolutely you know um it's like that verse whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So I just think, when I worked at Chick-fil-A, when I moved here to the Metroplex, obviously it's a church, churchy kind of place. It's a Christian <laughs> company, God's you know. chicken. Yeah, God's <laughs> chicken. Um, and so, obviously, it seems easy in that situation. But is it? You right. know, you're, it's mm-hmm. customer service. And what I'm not sharing the gospel with everybody I'm serving. And so, 
how am I honoring him in that situation? Or in a job where you don't get paid when you stay at home with your kids. How are you glorifying God in those moments? And so absolutely, sometimes what God just desires is that we make a choice um, and we do something with him in mind. Okay, God, here's what I'm choosing to do. I can't figure out which way you really want me to go. I'm doing this. Um, Both seem to kind of honor you Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so I'm choosing this position. Now show me ways that I can glorify you and uh, put people in my path where I can point them to you. Um, I think should be our ultimate goal. I'm glad you brought the scripture up again because when you said the second time, it dawned on me like the things that we do without really thinking, you know, just eating and drinking, you know, looking for not mundane. I'm so blessed that like food and water, um, easily accessible here, but you know, the things that you don't think twice about to see if you can find a way to glorify God through those actions. Yeah. I think we need to be that intentional with our lives. Okay, so now we're going on to law number three, the law of the mirror. So this is about self-image, self-talk. You can speak into shame and guilt if you want. I don't know if you're a Brene Brown person. Uh, She talks a lot about shame is in your head, like you are a bad person as opposed to guilt, I made a bad choice. So the law of the mirror, self-image, how do you develop that positive self-talk and how does that affect your spiritual growth? I think what you have to do is, well, first off, you have to know what God's Word says about you. Um, you know, you can't combat lies if you don't know what truth is. I mean, that's just... Oh, the, can you just say that again? I don't just even know say what it I said. Again. You can't combat lies if you don't know the truth. If you don't know what the truth oh, is, you can't awesome. defeat the enemy. And so, um, so for me... Um, you know, there, there was a song we used to sing in our church, and it just went over these things, these attributes um, that God's Word says about us, like, you are spotless, you are blameless, you are holy, you, all these things. And I just remember sobbing when I heard the song, so I'm like, are you sure, God? You know, are you sure that's who I am? And, um, you know, the the hard thing, or the, the thing that stinks is that we have a choice, like, we have... Um, we have to walk, scripture says we have to walk in the newness of life that he's given us. And so you have a choice to stay stuck. You have a choice to stay and walk in the things that you believe about yourself or the things that people have said about you or to walk in that new life, to walk in the freedom that the salvation that Jesus has for us offers us. And so, and so for me, um, what I have to constantly do is remind myself of what Scripture says. Um, that the way I am, and yes, there is sin in me, but the, the good things in me, the way He has knit me, is so perfect. Um, he made me how I am. And so some people use that against Christians, like, well, this is how I am. If God made me this way, then that's okay. Um, there's still sin in us, and so we still have to combat that, but we combat it with truth. Um, and so, so in, what I would say is you need to open your Bible and you need to figure out what God says about you. Um, and now, now these are things for believers. There's good news for believers, for people who have crossed from death to life, who have received forgiveness um, from Jesus because of the sacrifice he made on the cross. We get to walk in that new life. Now, it's available for everybody, 
but you don't you don't have that new identity if you aren't in Christ. Um, because what Scripture teaches is that once you have crossed that line of faith, once you have Jesus in your life, that's how God sees you as blameless, spotless, like Jesus. He just basically sees Jesus. But before then, um, even our best efforts, the best that we have to offer, is like filthy rags compared to the glory of God. And so, um, so the good news is, everyone can be spotless and blameless and pure. Um, we just have to be found in Christ. You know, and sorry. No, no I just. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Do you ever meet women that maybe really struggle with this, whether they've been um, through a trauma, um, through some sort of abuse, um, and then what do you recommend uh, to help them work through it? Like they believe, but they also have had this really real trauma that doesn't change what the truth and what the Bible says. But have you ever encountered women that and maybe men struggle with this too, but I perceive this as maybe something women struggle with a little bit more often than men. Yeah, um, we all, I think, struggle with this in dif- at different levels. Um, just feel unworthy, um, unclean, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and basically we disqualify ourselves from ever being used for things of God. And so um, what I daily what you have to do is decide to believe what is real or what isn't. And mm-hmm. so, um, so, yeah, the consequence of sin is terrible. And so the repercussions of it, the damage that it does to you menta- mentally and physically um, and even spiritually are terrible. But we have to daily choose to be renewed. Like our minds have to be renewed um, and we just have to flood ourselves with these things until we start believing them. You know, I there's a lot of people that say things like, well, I'm not going to get into God's Word if I just don't feel it, if I'm not feeling it because my heart's not in the right place. And I'm like, false. That's terrible. That's a terrible yeah. motto. You know, if, like, if I didn't, if I just wasn't nice to my kids because I didn't feel like it, well, then I would almost never be nice to them, you know? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yes, I love my kids. But I'm just saying, like, we have to decide, um, it's kind of like fake it till you make it, and not like in a terrible, like, I'm just saying this, and I, you know, I don't believe it about anyone, much less myself. No, no, you need to, like, speak these words over you, what God says about you, and there's a verse that says we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, and I when I had a friend speak that over me because I, for the first time in my marriage, had started feeling um, insecure and started doubting his faithfulness and how honest he was being with me. And I had never experienced insecurity like that in my life. And she just reminded me of this verse that says, every thought we think, we need to take it captive. And if you, if you think of that visually, if you just tried to imagine that, like someone being taken captive, what that looks like, we need to wrestle with our thoughts, take them captive, and submit them to what Scripture says, to submit them, make them obedient to Christ. And I just love that imagery. I mean, that's how much we should wrestle with our thoughts. And understand 
That when we are thinking things that are contrary to what God says, we're making ourselves God in that sense. It's like, yeah, God, I know what your word says, but here's what I think about myself. And that's just, that's, there's no way to walk in freedom when we do that sort of thing. That is really powerful. Like that phrasing that, you know, when you try to tell God what's up by saying, well, I heard you, but I disagree. Yeah. Yeah. All right, chapter four, the law of reflection. So this chapter is about pausing and reflecting, um, and that can be in your Christian walk, that can be in your daily routine, however you want to play that. So how does pausing and reflecting benefit spiritual growth? Well, I think that's the only way to grow, um, because if you don't know where you are, um, then you don't you don't know where to go, basically. You know, and so for me. Uh, the way I do that, uh, I do that in a couple areas, or I probably do it in more areas, but just specifically these two areas, I pause a lot in worship, like actual song worship. Um, you know, the the songs are usually, or they should be at your church, they should be based on scripture. And so, so I listen to these words, and it reminds me of my own brokenness. It reminds me of the redemptive power of Christ. It reminds me of what he brought me through. And so it just, it just recenters me. It refocuses me and it just reminds me of what my mission is. Um, and it just, it gives me again a renewed gratefulness. Um, and so uh, it just makes me want to do more. It makes me want to learn more. It makes me want to be more passionate, uh, more driven. Uh, it just, it's, that is so good for me. And so, so I would, recommend that the listeners would let themselves go there in worship i know a lot of the time we are worried to go there we're worried to get emotional we're worried about what people will think and um all i have to say to that is we that moment is for you and the lord that's all that is and so the our our admiration should be poured out in the way we worship him and so we shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't be ashamed of the way we worship him. And, and that, in those moments, I just believe God will do a good work in our spirit and will allow us to reflect on who we really are. Um, and another way that I do that is when I journal, when I write. It, I guess the way I've said it before is just a lot of the things I will write are things I don't feel comfortable saying or things I don't know how to verbalize. And so... When I actually sit down and write, it just really refocuses me. And sometimes it's even in my prayer time, but sometimes when I'm just talking to God in my journaling, it really shows me where I'm being silly, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's in my journaling, I really feel like it gives me a chance to pause. If someone, so, something we're doing a lot is encouraging our listeners to journal. Uh, to kind of keep up with their thoughts throughout this kind of stuff. So what do you do when you journal? Do you just free write? Do you pray and write? Do you have prompts? So a lot of the time I like to read first, read my Bible, and then I write. And so sometimes, I mean, I go through different seasons, but sometimes I will pick up, you know, whatever passage I'm reading, and I'll read a verse, and then I'll just sit for a bit, and I'll wait and wait till I have something to write. And I just, 
I think sometimes we just read a whole passage and then we just want to write a sentence or two just to, what did I get from that whole passage? And I just believe that there's so much more to Scripture than that. And I believe God wants to teach us more than that. And so I, so, so it may be a verse by verse. And especially if you read Proverbs, like we talked about earlier, you know, for instance, there's, there's a verse that I remember from that first year of me reading my Bible because it was so, because I would sit and wait and I would just wait on the Spirit of God to teach me something from these verses. And one of the verses was, as a fool returns to his folly, so a dog returns to his oh, vomit. Gross. Or vice versa. Yeah. It's a switch. And so I just remember thinking, a dog uh, returning to its vomit. First of all, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, what is folly? Uh, and so I just remember you know, just taking it so slow, and I would spend minutes, five minutes, on one simple verse like that. And um, God just revealed so much about myself in that. And I'm like, whoa. Just like I return to my sinful nature and my weaknesses is compared to a dog returning to his vomit. Man, I need to get my act together, you know? Yeah, and so, after you said that, I don't even want to ask this, but <laughs> do you, how have you trained? It sounds like you've got a really good grasp in how you approach, you know, your quiet time, but do you ever find your mind drifting on the laundry or is that a kid screaming or, man, I forgot I got to run that errand? Um, snacks in again. my head, I'm like, oh crap, that's the dog returning to the vomit. <laughs> yeah. like, is that something that just comes with practice? Do you have any tips or tricks on how to kind of stay focused and quiet in those moments? Yeah, I still do that. And one thing, I think about work a lot of the time when mm-hmm. I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So I wake up early and have my quiet time because I know myself and I know life. And if I wait till the end... It ain't going to happen because um, I just get lazy yeah. and then I'll start working or making graphics for work or something on my computer while I'm watching Netflix. Um, and so I wake up early and I read and and so for me, what I have to do is I have to have the coffee. The coffee will be brewed and ready before I wake up because if it's not, I will make the coffee when I wake up and then I have to wait for it to brew. And so I, you have to make it easy uh, the things that you want to do and know you should do have to be more attractive and more attainable than we make them to be sometimes. And so we have to make it easier to get into the Word. So my Bible has to be ready or whatever I'm studying has to be ready. I have to have a pen ready. All of it's on my nightstand ready. I have to sit up. I'm not going to lay down and read. Um, and I have something. I have an iPad ready. So if my son wakes up early and he comes into my room, he gets the iPad, and he knows I might put in headphones, I might put in earplugs to stay focused. But I still have thoughts that pop into my head. And so, and it's usually for work, when I'm reading scripture or whatever, I'm like, oh, this would be a good topic for this or whatever. And so I just, I have a, a notepad or something I can write on next to me, and I just, I jot the, the note down. What a to-do, you know. Um, create the registration form for the upcoming Bible study. <laughs> Write it down, and then it's off my mind. You know, once mm-hmm. I write it down, and, and that's a tip that I've heard. I got that from someone who was saying when you have a hard time going to sleep because you're running through the next day, make a to-do list, and you'll have a, you won't be worried about forgetting the things. And so that's what I do when I'm reading Scripture. I think a lot of times we replay our to-do list so we, like, don't forget. Yeah. The other thing I like that you said um, a little while back was 
the law of reflection, right? You're looking at yourself to kind of see where you're at and which direction to go. And again, you reemphasize the importance of looking at yourself through the lens of scripture, not what your mama thinks of you, mm-hmm. not what social media says you should be or what you are. But when you're reflecting on where you're at in life, not making excuses, although you could totally have some big ones, um, but just looking through, again, the lens of scripture and what God says about you. So I really like that. Yeah, you know, because if I go off what my mom thinks about me, I am the best person in this world. You know? <laughs> uh, okay, maybe my sister too. And my brother. Okay, my brother's the best. My mom thinks my brother's the best. But um, but just in term, just my mom just thinks I'm great, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if I go off of that, there's very little I need to work on, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's stuff I need to work on. Yeah. We disagree on some stuff. But, yeah. uh, but for the most part, she thinks I'm incredible. And so that cannot be our scale. And then on the flip side... There are people that think I'm the worst person in the world. So if I go from what, based off of what they say, then I will hold myself back from so much. I will just feel disqualified from things that God would have for me, you know. And when you look in Scripture, God doesn't look on outward appearance. You know, that's what Scripture says. He looks at the man at, at our heart, and so, so we just have to know what God's word says. We just can't believe people. All right, Lisa, let's so you've hit on consistency and design as well. So with the effective systems, you've already talked about your quiet time, how you do that consistency. We've hit on that a little bit already. So the law of environment. So that's chapter six specifically. Um, how can we know when an environment is bad for us? Yes, there's the, hey, you're in a really terrible situation. you got to get out. Uh, but also, how can we just tell if something is toxic for us? Because sometimes we're in too deep. We... It's normal to us. We don't know. So what do you do to combat that? Well, again, it's hard to know what aligns with God if you don't know what his word says or if you don't know what, if you don't know his character. And so, again, you know, I, I've, I, in a sense, feel like I'm just reiterating the same thing over and over about knowing God's word, but I'm telling you that is where real spiritual growth happens. And so, um, so, you have to know what his word says. And so based on that, if I'm in a situation that makes me think or do something that is contrary to honoring God, if it makes me dishonor God in any way, my thoughts or actions, then it's not a helpful environment. It's, it's a bad environment for me. It may not be a bad environment for someone else. Um, if going to... It's, you know, David Griffin brings up, he uses this question to really get people to think, you know, it, for instance, is pornography sinful for everybody? Most people answer yes. And he would say, what about the person who feels called by God to set up boundaries for people to keep, you know, to put on your computer safeguards, to keep your kids from getting, to keep uh, spouses from getting, you know, whatever. What about those people? Well, if God has called them to it, yes, but as soon as they struggle with something, if it becomes a temptation of theirs and they start sinning in it, then yes, obviously it's sinful for them as well. So you're talking about the people that go and they'll Google search pandas and then they're looking for any inappropriate things that pop up when you type pandas. That way when your kid yes. types pandas, right. then you're not Yeah, absolutely. And so, so not every situation, not every situation is bad across the board some things are just sinful 
in and of themselves. But not every bad situation do I believe we need to get out of. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, he was in a lot of what society would consider bad situations, bad environments. But when I am faced with this question of how do I know when I need to get out of something, I go back to, I think it's Proverbs 4, 23. Shot in the dark. Uh, and it says, above all else, guard your heart for it is a wellspring of life. Above all else, we are to guard our heart. So it doesn't matter if you are talking about witnessing to people or doing good things for people. If at any point your heart is dishonoring God or if there is sin in your heart, then you need to get out of that situation. You know, and so... Uh, I have a hard time even when people are in dangerous situations just telling them to get out of it because I have seen in scripture where God obviously called people to remain in dangerous situations because that was the calling he placed on their life until the point of death. And so I don't think it's black and white necessarily. I think it's where God has you and you got to obviously uh, do what you need to do to stay within yourself to stay with in a place where you are honoring God um, but if he hasn't called you to something if he hasn't called you to stay in a harmful situation whatever I say absolutely get out of it but for me to say it is terrible for someone to stay in that situation and I don't know if God has called him to it or not I just can't do that right all right, chapter 8, the law of pain. So this whole chapter is about pain's inevitable. It's going to happen. So how can you leverage that for good and not evil? James, in the book of James, uh, which James is Jesus' half-brother, um, it says to consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance when it has finished its work will make you mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I just think, wait a minute. It's trials that make me more, more mature and complete, lacking nothing. And I, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, that's exactly what I want. I want to be more mature. I want to be made complete and lacking nothing, lacking in nothing. And so what I have to do is consider my trials pure joy. And that's super challenging because... What we want to do is just sit in our sorrow. And here's the other crazy thing. Sometimes even when we want to get over it, I say get over it, but when we want to get over that situation, just be joyful and we finally find contentment in the Lord in that situation. We still fight feeling or showing this sorrowful uh, persona, I guess, because we don't want others to judge us for how quickly we are getting out of that situation. So, for instance, you um, suffer a miscarriage. And then all of a sudden, you're yeah, you're sad, but you just have a perspective that God is going to do something. And God is merciful, and He's sovereign, and He's going to do something good out of it, and He's going to teach you something from it. But everyone is like, how is she so happy already? And maybe she's not even sad, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I had a teammate who, every time she would miss a shot, she would punch her hand you know she'd just show that she was angry and a part of me felt like she was doing that because she wanted to show other people that she was upset 
And I think we fight that temptation as believers too. We might quickly find joy in the Lord because we're trying to do what Scripture says. We're trying to trust God, but we fight that temptation to just sit in our sorrow because we don't want other people to judge us. And then also 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4 says that we are supposed to use the comfort that God gives us in trials to comfort those who experience the same trials. I just think that's so beautiful. And so back on that miscarriage topic, you know, my husband and I have experienced three miscarriages. So having been comforted by the Lord through those miscarriages, I now have a different tool that I might not have otherwise because I hadn't been through it. He hadn't comforted me through it. Not that I don't have wisdom to encourage someone else, but I just have a different tool. I have the encouragement that he specifically gave me, that comfort he gave me to comfort someone else. And so absolutely there's a way to, to leverage our trials and our pains, our suffering. Um, and also what it does is it reminds us that, that uh, this is not the place we want to end up. This is not our resting place. And we should long for our reunion with the Lord. And so that's what suffering does for me too. It reminds me of just how broken this world is and how much I long to be with my Heavenly Father. Right. So step one, someone's in their darkest days. What's a baby step forward? Because we said this earlier, if you wait till you feel like doing it, it could be a very long time if ever. So let's say you don't feel like it. Um, you know, part of you, if you're being honest, you want to feel melancholy and sad during mm-hmm. this phase or whatever's going on. What is a baby step or a first step? And there's, I don't think there's one right answer. I don't want you to think like there's one right answer here. But what's one baby step they could do to start crawling out of that pain? Well, I would encourage you to open up your Bible. Because what we see in Scripture is the faithfulness of God. And so, you know, you can turn to the Old Testament. One of the cool things I did while I was attempting to read through the Bible in a year was I started in Genesis. And I fell in love with the book of Exodus because what it reminded me of is how many times we doubt and we forget God's faithfulness and we just turn back to our worldly desires and our passions. And so you see God's chosen people, the Israelites, they were in slavery. God performs all of these plagues to get them out of Pharaoh's ruling um, and they're out and they're free and they're going to the promised land that they always knew uh, they they would be. They knew that that was part of God's promise. Then they get to the Red Sea. Uh, And then they look back and they see Pharaoh and the chariots and his army coming after him. And they start doubting and, oh, Moses, why did you bring us here? It would be better to be there, you know, enslaved. And it's like, no, no, no. You remember what it was like to be in that dark place. And it's not good. And so why would you choose to be okay there? What we need to choose to do is believe that what God has for us is better. And so just even though you don't see it in your own life, what you need to do is remind yourself of his faithfulness to his people. You have to remember that that he is good. He is a good God. And you see that woven all through scripture. Even though there's hard things that happen, God's purposes prevail. 
there's a verse that says that he will carry it out, the good work that he started, he will carry it out to completion. Um, the good work he started in you, that he'll carry it out. And so you just got to believe that. You have to believe he's faithful. You have to believe, I always go back, I feel so silly saying this, but there's a Dixie Chicks song. Oh. And, <laughs> okay, and, I'm ready for it. No, but <laughs> they say that line, I'm not ready to make nice. Mm. And that is Dixie Chicks, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. I don't know. So will uh, look it up later. So for me, I feel that way sometimes. Like, I'm just not ready to make nice. And I, in that moment, believe the lie that my own desires to remain in my sorrowful state or my bitter state, um, my unforgiveness state, um, my, you know, I, I just believe the lie that staying in that moment of what I desire is better than what God asks of me, what he calls me to. What I have to just believe is that he knows better than I do. I mean, come on, he created the stars. He created water and air. So I have to believe that a perfect God that we serve, our God, the one true God, is better than anything I could ever choose to do. And so I just, I can be reminded of it through scripture, but I also need to know what scripture says to be reminded of it. Yeah, I think sometimes when you're in pain like that, you feel justified. Yeah. So you're not ready to let it go. Right. Because I should feel this way. Um, you know, my grandparent passed away. I'm justified to feel this pain. And I'm not going to let it go because I'm supposed to have it. And again, I like how, you know, when people are in pain, I think sometimes they turn to uh, drinking or, you know, a friend. And then the friend says something dumb. And you're like, oh, why did I even ask yeah. you? <laughs> but they turn to other things. And it might be fulfilling for a minute, a second. But it fades. And then they still wonder why they're feeling you're still stuck in that pain so again yeah and what I would say is it is totally it is not sinful to be sad you know like Jesus wept yeah um he was broken he hurt for things he had righteous anger um and so we are our emotions aren't sin um they can cause us to sin Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it is okay to be sad, Yeah. but what you let your heart do and where your heart is inclined, if it is inclined to the Lord and you are sad and you are trusting him, then I don't think you're in sin in that moment. And so I think we just need to be aware of ourselves and know, um, when we are out of line with scripture. Yep. Okay. So the next chapter is chapter nine, the law of the ladder. He talks about rungs on your character ladder. So as a Christian, what would some of our rungs be or what could we aspire to do and how can we stay accountable with that? Well, we talked about earlier the fruits of the Spirit. And these are these are characteristics that a believer should display. And so when you look at John 14, it says that when you remain in him, he will remain in you. And so we will bear fruit. Our lives, what, what is evident in our lives should be a display of what God has done in us. And so, um, so the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all things that are obviously hard for all of us to do. And some of us are better at some of these areas than others. But these are 
fruits that when we have the spirit within us, we are then able to grow in these things. And so if we want to relate it to a ladder, you know, a growth ladder, this could be something that we should try to develop as believers. And so also in in that second Peter verse that we talked about earlier, when when he talks about supplementing your faith, he talks about adding things like self-discipline, you know, and so there are things as a believer we should try to get better at. And what I would say is, again, we are comparing ourselves to what Scripture says. So, you know, as you look at the life of Jesus and you look at how patient he was with people, when you look at how loving he was with people, these are things that we need to aspire to be like. These are ways we need to aspire to be like. But also, this is what the Holy Spirit is for. And so, you know, the disciples were so upset when Jesus was going to leave them because Jesus was their guiding person. He told them what to do next. But he said that someone better was coming, someone greater. And that's kind of hard to imagine, but really what's incredible about the Holy Spirit is that we all, as believers, can be guided wherever we are to walk in step uh, with what God has for us. And so that's the challenge. If you really want to grow and you want to get better and you want to feel like you're climbing up this spiritual ladder, you know, if that's what we want to call it, then we need to be able to discern what the Holy Spirit inside of us is saying. And so that's when you go back to that pausing and reflecting. That's why that's so important because we um, we know more than anyone else sometimes what the, the ugliness in our heart is like. And so uh, the Spirit of God will weigh heavy on us when there are things that are out of line with the way we should be living, uh, not in a condemning way, but in a way that is constructive, in a way that would uh, make us prosper and be effective and fruitful. And so, yeah, I love, you know, my kids are in love with the Fruit of the Spirit song that the preschool mm-hmm. ministry at Sea Life's been singing. And so, um, so you, if you want to be a Fruit of the Spirit, you can't be a coconut, you know. Um, and And so... You know, a lot of people may not know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Right. And I would just say, uh, I believe it's Galatians 5. Go read the fruits of the Spirit and ask yourself the question, am I really displaying these things? Am I being, a, do I show a sense of peace? Am I loving? Um, am I patient? You know, just ask yourself, go through these things and look at your life, evaluate your life and and I think we all would see that we have a lot of room to grow. Right. Maybe later we can post the coconut. Is it the yeah. Fruit of the Spirit song? It's it's about a coconut. It's yes. Maybe we'll post that When later. you said self-control, I wanted to go control. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think a helpful exercise, like earlier we had talked about, looking at what your strengths are and kind of going from there, um, would it be good to kind of lay out the fruits of the Spirit, see again, of course, what Scripture says and how Scripture defines those, not our own definition? And maybe, I don't know, would you start with the one you feel most successful with and kind of build? Or would you start with, like, your one you need to improve the most on? <laughs> or, well, I guess you personal know, preference? Who knows? Yeah, so, so I played soccer for quite some years when I was little, and I remember our coach would tell us, 
you know, your, your weaker foot, you need to do that three times as much as you do your dominant foot. Mm. And so when we're working on our crosses, um, I would use my left foot three times as much as I use my right foot. And so, um, I just got so much better at it. And so for, you know, I can see the fault in my kids maybe a lot easier than I can see to myself. And so, but for instance, with my kids, what I try to do, and so I look at the giftings of my son. My son is one of the sweetest, most affectionate kids ever, just people ever. He's just so sweet and, but he is a total boy too and he will plow his little sister down in a heartbeat when she makes him mad or whatever and he is very emotional and he doesn't know how to control it and so he is like both ends you know he is both ends on that spectrum and so what I do for him and what I think is something we could do for us when we're talking about the fruits of the spirit we can look at the things that we are good at so like for him love Love is a great quality of his. Patience is not. And so I speak into him, and we can do this to ourselves, but I speak into him what he is good at. And so, James, you are loving. So when he plows his sister down, James, you are a sweet boy. You are loving. You love your sister. You are not a bully. We all have things we need to work on. You got to try to be more patient with your sister, bud. I want you to apologize to her. You know, we work through that. And then I'm like, okay, find something that you can do for your sister. Your sister wanted that toy. You ripped it out of her hand and knocked her to the ground. Find something you can give her. And so he's developing this patience towards her. And so for me, it's part of, it's both of it. It's capitalizing and using the things to benefit uh, the church, to benefit the body of the body of Christ using your giftings and the thing the things you are good at but then making sure you develop the areas that you are not good in and you know it's like my husband used to pray for patience all the time and it was like year after year job after job he was placed with people that others would consider really difficult and so he's like I'm gonna stop praying for patience you know? <laughs> I think I've developed there yeah and um and so we don't need to be fearful of that we need to be excited about God molding us into his image. You know? So what I heard you saying then is that your son is loving, and so patience seems like a separate thing, but you are very loving. You love your sister. How can we show patience through love? Right. Can you go get her another toy? Yes. Giving a gift shows that you love and care about her, but at the same time, you're developing patience. Skill. Right, because he, in that moment, is frustrated with her. And right. so... I need to use something he is good in, loving, and help him be more patient with his sister. Yeah, just like we would with our kids, right? We'd give them the grace that we don't expect them to magically learn to be patient. Right. But let's use our strengths to empower our weaknesses or make them better, whatever right. fancy word I'm looking for yeah. on that one. I love it. Chapter 10, Law of the Rubber Band. So this is about being stretched, getting out of the comfort zone, I think. When we talked, we really liked this chapter just because that's where the magic happens. So how do you feel about uh, being stretched, affecting us spiritually? And what are some truths, again, back to the truths? What can we do when we're feeling stretched, whether either to the point of breaking or, hey, I'm familiar with this, let's grow? What do you think? I think the only way we can grow spiritually 
is when we are stretched. And so that's sometimes in our knowledge and sometimes that's just in the way we act. And so, um, you know, when, when you lose a toy as a kid, it's the most devastating thing ever. Mm-hmm. But if you never learn how to work through that as a kid, then how can you ever expect to get through losing a loved one when you're a little older? And so, you know, I just, I really believe that the more you are stretched over time increases your capacity to be stretched. And so why that would be a good thing is I feel like you can be used in many different areas, you know. Um, You know, Paul McDill was talking to us as a staff and he was saying, if you are just waiting for things to be easier then that's a terrible mentality to have. Um, You know, he said, with us as a church, we had to manage so little financially when we first started as a church. But that was hard for us at the time, managing that, managing sound system, whatever. And then all of a sudden we have two campuses, and then we feel God calling us to start two more at the same time. And so, you know, God usually doesn't, call people to start 10 churches at one time or four churches at one time or two churches at one time. It's usually one church. But what working through and allowing ourselves to be stretched in our own capabilities and our own knowledge has allowed us, has allowed the pastors to get to the place where we are today as a church. And so, you know, Paul says how he told us how we need to, as a staff, view our ministries is not just waiting for things to get better because you're going to be miserable the whole time. You need to see every challenge as an opportunity uh, to tackle something, you know. And I, at that time, I was having a hard time with my son, and I was just waiting for things to get easier, you know. And and instead, just thinking, no, this is an opportunity for my character to be developed. This is an opportunity for me to show my son more grace then I would show him if he was just a sweet and easy kid, you know. And my mentor told me, uh, you know, oh, I remember those times with my kids. But those moments, the difficult moments when you're kids, that really stretch you, what they do is they not only allow you to be developed in your spirituality, but they allow other people to see your normal and you still choose to honor God in those difficult moments. And so, you know, if someone wins a million dollars, it's easy to glorify God. But when you're in difficult situations and you're being stretched emotionally, financially, physically, and you still glorify God, those are the moments that really tell people, wow, their God must be really great. Right. So do you think there's such a thing as stretching yourself too thin? And then how do you gauge... I'm thinking personally... I'm not good at saying no. Um, and sometimes, a lot of times I'm like, this is a great op- opportunity. Well, this is a great opportunity, whether it's for me, my family, the students I work with, um, uh, to further God's kingdom. But do you think there is such a thing as stretching yourself too thin? Absolutely. You know, um, sometimes for, for myself, when I have found that I have just constantly said yes to things, it is not just because they're good things that I want to be a part of. 
sometimes it's because I feel needed. And what I'm doing in that moment is telling myself that there isn't someone else who can do that very thing. And God needs me. And I would never say that out loud. And I wouldn't even really say that to myself. But that's really in my spirit what I'm believing. And so there is. There is a way to stretch yourself so thin. And, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, you know, they would, he would remove himself from people. And he would go and, and, and commune with the Father And so we absolutely have to have times like that where we make sure we are taking care of ourselves. You know, I have a friend, one of my best friends, is one of the most giving people I have ever met in my life. And, you know, she has a unique circumstance. She's about my age, she's single, and she is in a community, in a church community, where there are a lot of moms with little kids. She serves her heart out. Health-wise, she is struggling like crazy. She has uh, an illness, but she just feels so needed, and there's so much opportunity, and so she battles that. How much do I serve them? I mean, there's some days she can barely walk, and she's making meals for families, you know, and and I, I have to constantly remind her, hey, if you don't take care of yourself, you are no longer going to be useful for these families, you know, and so... I just think we need to take Jesus' approach and we need to make sure that we are commun- having communion with the Father um, and so, you know so that we can so that we can serve at a higher capacity and you know there's there's stories of people who have served in the church or served in Christian type ministries who have neglected their families and and their their tragic stories and it, and what it does to people to outsiders is it says serving god destroys things at home and um people just get it's so cultish they get so consumed with serving god and whatever that they forget the most important things and what i would say is absolutely god needs to be number 1 um but he has us in our own we each have our own unique circumstances And so it's not black or white for everybody. What you need to say yes to is different than what I need to say yes to. What you need to say no to is different than what I need to say no to. And that goes back to learning how to walk in step with the Spirit. Knowing what Scripture says so that you can know what the the Spirit would guide you to do. You know, you need to know what is contrary to what God would have us do. And that's perfect because that's chapter 11, the trade-offs, the law of trade-offs. So you just hit it exactly on how to choose what you have to have the discernment. You yeah. need to be following Christ and seeing what he needs you to do. Yeah, and absolutely. that's how you can easily pick the trade-off where you don't end up neglecting your family right. or neglecting God or whatever, yeah, however yeah, that works. Chapter 12 is the law of curiosity. So what are some of the benefits whenever someone is curious about maybe questions they have about the Bible or uh, their spiritual growth or reading the Bible? Um, what kind of experience do you have with people who have a bunch of questions for you I love questions and you know for me when I first started walking in this new life that God created me for that's all I had was questions and I didn't really have people to go to to answer these questions but what it did was it forced me to get into God's word 
It forced me to journal. It forced me to, to listen to worship songs, to learn more about his character. And so these questions about what does folly mean? Um, you know, what, what are these things that God's word has? What, what do these things mean for me? And those questions are what drove me to grow spiritually. When we don't have questions, I think we don't find it necessary to learn more. And so questions are good. And the church needs to be a place where we can ask these questions. And the things that I'm most curious about are the things I pay most attention to when someone's trying to teach me something. So I don't know that I ever really read a book until I was in college. And I was studying psychology. The first book I ever read was uh, like a child psychology book. And it was the most, I mean, it was like a binder book. It was so huge. And I loved it. Could not get enough of it. And and so curiosity really is a catalyst for our growth, you know. And so I would say for anybody, whether you're a believer or not, what I would say to you is just start looking at the world. Start looking at people's behavior. Look at yourself and your own motives and your desires. Look at creation. Start getting curious because those are the things that can really spark your growth in your journey with the Lord. I think sometimes, just based off what I've felt or talking to other people, is if you ask a question, either I'm going to sound dumb for asking that, like I should already know the answer, or two, does my questioning come across as like I'm going against what God says on this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes people may be reluctant. Um, what advice do you give to people that are reluctant to ask those questions to knowledgeable people too, right? Like you want to ask the right people, um, but then that could also be even more intimidating. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we ask questions too with the wrong motives. So we've we've done uh, ourselves wrong pause. in this area. There's something out there. Meeting people, you all know, there's that person that asks the question that they already know the answer to just to prove to everyone they're right. And they usually start asking questions when the meeting should be over. And you're like, please (laughs) go ask that after they dismiss us. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but I just had to get that off my chest. I've been in a training all week. And so (laughs) it was on my heart and I just had to get it it off my chest. You know, I do that that with, you know, I I set myself up for failure in this area in my marriage because I did that early on. You know, instead of just asking an honest question or stating my opinion, I would ask loaded questions with my husband. And so now he's on his guard all this all, all of the time. And so when I ask him a question, he's like, what are you really saying? I'm like, I'm just asking your question, like for real this time, you know. But I did myself wrong because of that. And so, so it's hard when we're trying to be honest with people or we're trying to have honest questions because we are broken and we we hear these questions with a lot uh, of previous experience and we ask these questions with wrong motives sometimes and so it may get messy but that's okay if we really want to learn more we need to be okay with finding those people we can ask those questions to and so I would say find a church Um, you know if you 
if you have had arguments or big debates, heated debates with people, maybe those aren't the right people to ask these questions to. I would say find a church that believes in the Bible, that believes in Jesus, and find a pastor. And I hope, I mean, if you're around our church, if you're around Community Life Church, you are welcome to ask any question, always. But I hope that whoever you ask these questions to, that they would be respectful and loving, and they would be just as excited as we would be to answer those questions you have. Um, and so don't, be dis- don't, don't get discouraged if someone can't answer it in the right way. You know, because the reality is a lot of the time when we are faced with questions about our faith, we take offense to it. And sometimes we take offense to it or we get defensive because we don't really know the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so if someone gets defensive when you ask a question, don't always take it personally. Sometimes it's because we're insecure in our own knowledge. And we believe it without having all the answers. So you should just believe it without having all the knowledge. And so, um, so don't take it personally. But that should be more motivation for us as believers to grow in our knowledge and to supplement our faith. That was really good insight. Thanks for that. All right. So we have two chapters left we hadn't quite touched on. So the law of modeling and the law of contribution. So Lisa, let, earlier you mentioned you had a mentor. So what can we do to find good role models or mentors I know sometimes uh, we it doesn't necessarily have to be someone you see face-to-face. Maybe it could be someone who doesn't even know you. So how does that kind of play in? How do good mentors help you in your spiritual growth? You know, I've, I've had some women in my life who aren't much older than me, but I've had them in my life as women I would just reach out to occasionally. They would reach out to me. And most of them are down in San Antonio, and I still connect with them. If I'm really struggling with something, I connect with them. Um, If I need prayer about something, whether it's for my physical needs or my spiritual needs, um, I contact them. And, And so I have those women. For me personally, I felt like I was really missing some face to face connection because I can hide a lot over the phone. And so I, I remember our, we had a meeting for women's ministry. It was the first meeting I had coming on staff in this new role. And the person who opened us up in prayer was someone I didn't know. It was someone who one of our campus pastors told me needed to be in the meeting. She was in the meeting. She opened us up in prayer. And as soon as she started praying, I just felt in my spirit, I need her more in my life. Like, I need more of her in my life. And that was such a good feeling. And, you know, there's something weird when you're an adult. You're so scared to ask people to, like, be your friend. You know? <laughs> so, it's uh, hard friend dating when you're it, older. <laughs> no, it really is. I mean, I'll just, like, full transparency here. When I moved to the Metroplex, I was super lonely at one point, And I remember Googling how to make friends in your 20s. I am not lying. Like, I don't care if that's embarrassing, whatever. But that's just true. I never was without friends. I don't care how much people made fun of me at certain points in my life. I, I still had friends. And so to go from moving away from everyone I knew, my family, my friends, and being in this new place was, and I had just left my dream jobs. So I was like, what do we do? You know, 
And I, so yes, it's difficult to make friends when you're older and you're not playing sports or you're not organizations, you're not in school mm-hmm. or playing you, in the sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your options are gym, church, grocery store, work. Yeah. And then you struggle. Well, <laughs> should I just keep going to these bars or should I keep, you know, like you just not, I'm not saying you, y'all do that. I'm just saying that those are things you can't. You don't know my life. Question. Really <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, so what I did with her, I was so, it's so funny. So, uh, we talked a little bit and then I just kept feeling this and I just wasn't sure. I'm like, I don't really even know her, but I just feel like I need more of her in my life. And it wasn't just her. What I was really needing was someone to be honest with me. I needed someone to know my story because very few people up here know my story, like the bad me. Um, and I needed someone to know that, to hold me accountable in a way that no one else up here can. And so I wanted someone to know my story. I wanted someone who was in doing ministry with us, but who was older than me and someone who would just be real and honest with me. And so I asked her, I I kind of told her those things, a little bit of that. And I just asked if we could meet up and she invited me for coffee on her porch and probably halfway through, I mean, I was like terrified. I was so nervous and, and partially because I hadn't really asked her, do you want to mentor me? I hadn't asked her. And then at one point she just stopped me and she was like, so what, what is this? (laughs) Are we like boyfriend, girlfriend, Facebook official, or like me, like me? Yeah. Yeah. And I just told her, I was like, look, I just, I need someone to know me. I need someone to know my story. And so the next time we met, I shared my story, um, left out a couple things in my story that I was still just, it was hard for me to talk about. So then I text her all the rest of it when I got home. Uh-huh. And, and so she knows all of me. And, and she asked me really hard questions. And she's super honest with me. And I think we need that. And a lot of the times we find ourselves with people who condone our behavior. But if we really want to grow, we need to find people that will sharpen us. You know, iron sharpens iron. And so you got to find someone who is like iron to you, who will sharpen you if you want to grow. If not, just keep hanging around with people who are doing the same things you're doing. I mean, that's plain and simple, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. The law of contribution, this is our last one. This is all about um, how are you going to contribute, give back. That could be anything from tithe to time. So from the Christian perspective, how can we give back? Well, like we said earlier, God has uniquely gifted uniquely knit every single one of us and so you have to be aware of your giftings you know but here's what I would also say is and I I was listening to a podcast and uh, the guy studies spiritual gifts and uh, teaches people teaches classes and stuff and he said a lot of the time you learn where you're gifted Uh, when you are actually serving and people say, man, you're really good at that. And so he said, you're not going to figure out, someone's not going to do that until you're actually serving. And so instead of waiting to figure out that one area that you're just so gifted in, whatever, just start serving. And you'll see if you're gifted in it or not, you know. And and so you can't wait till you have all the answers. you got to start serving. Um, What I would say also 
as God asks us to give him the first fruits of what we have. And so uh, financially giving him the first of our, of our income, what we receive, giving him the first of that. Um, not giving out of abundance, like, oh, okay, we have this extra this month, I'm giving him that. Not giving him the extra of our, just the, the excess of our energy and time. It's like, no, I'm going to set my alarm, even if it's five minutes earlier. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to contribute in this way by growing in knowledge so that I can benefit the body of Christ in this way. Um, and then what I would say also is to, to stop comparing yourself to other people because you will always find someone who's better than you, smarter than you, prettier than you, whatever-er than you, and, and you will be discontent. And you will never find a, a right time to serve. And so what I would say is know who you are and who God created you to be and just start serving. And don't think, well, I don't sing as well as her. I don't play guitar as well as them. I don't speak as well as her. I don't know as much as him or whatever. Stop comparing yourself and see where God has you now. And know that he is perfect and sovereign and just go for it. There's always someone who can benefit from what you have to offer. So just go for it. Right. And we may never even know on this side of it or ever how we're helping someone else. But absolutely, like you said, just get out there and start doing it because someone else might be learning or growing right behind you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like asking these questions. You being scared to ask questions because you don't want to sound dumb. You don't realize that by asking a question, having the humility, being humble enough to ask those what seem to be simple questions may inspire another believer who's stronger in their, you know, who has more knowledge to be that humble to ask somebody else to grow. And so you don't realize what your lack of can encourage someone else to do. It's good stuff. Well, Lisa, before we let you go, is there any closing remarks you have, anything you want to hit home for our audience? If you had the opportunity to speak to them face-to-face, what would you want to be sure to communicate to them? There's a lot. But one thing that I want to encourage the listeners with is, like we've said, of course, stop comparing yourself to other people. Um, But more than that, when we look at our lives as a whole and how we are going to influence the world to, you know, how we're going to glorify God in the way we live, um, it's so easy to get discouraged because we see where we are, we know where we maybe could be or where we want to be. And here's what I would say. It's just... Keep walking in step with the Spirit and trust God with whatever comes after that because the most fruit comes from when you are being obedient to the Spirit of God. It's not in a title. It's not in a position. um, It's not any achievement. It's when you are in step with the Spirit of God. And so wherever He has you, that's where the most joy and satisfaction comes from. That's where a free life is. That's where it is experienced. And so what I would say is stop. It's 
it's not about to stop having goals. It's to stop focusing on the achievement, the status, and the title, but focus on where God has you now and be joyful in that growth process. Be excited about where He has you now because there's opportunities to glorify Him everywhere. And like the passage that talks about the body and how every part of the body is so beneficial, the toe, I mean, look how little the pinky toe is, and that is like the most important toe for our balance. And so when you, who wants to be the pinky toe when you could be the head, you know? Um, and so, but the pinky toe is so valuable. And so finding joy wherever you are, finding purpose wherever you are, and being comfortable with the growth track that God has you on is where we need to find comfort and rest. Mic drop. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, yeah. thanks for joining us, and maybe we'll have you again if we didn't scare you off too bad. You didn't too bad. We'll see. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, hosted by Brooke and Farron. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and our website, wittyandgritty.blog. Subscribe to our email list to get exclusive updates, freebies, and more. Keep tuning in to learn a little about a lot.